1: Look, that season was the season that Caroline like really became the de facto showrunner of the show and moving into season five. And she carried the weight of the show for five, six, three more years after this. And, um, you know, Brian Young as well and a whole bunch of great writers. But like, Mm -hmm. you really, you took the baton and you, you made it work and you crushed it. Why would you possibly think that you could trust her?
0: Let me guess, she pledged her allegiance to you while you were naked in the sack. I bet you were just dying to get that out, weren't you, Damon? Oh, is that supposed to be a secret? Maybe you should have made that a little clearer while you were bleeding me dry in our cellar. Yeah, to keep you from killing Jeremy. Stop it, both of you. You know, why don't you tell her to calm down, Damon?
2: You've managed to use that sire bond pretty well so far, haven't you?
0: Welcome back to Entertainment Weekly's binge of The Vampire Diaries. I'm your host, Sam Heifel, and joining me today to talk all things Season 4 are executive producers, Caroline Dries and Julie Pleck. As we say with every episode, there is a, a series-wide spoiler alert on this. We reserve the right to go on tangents that take us into future seasons, past seasons, all the things, so listen at your own risk. But we will be primarily focusing on Season 4, which... Obviously, is like, I mean, when I think of the show as a whole, I don't know about you guys, like four feels like such a transition. I mean, literally, because Elena's transitioning, but also like your Elena's becoming a vampire, obviously, like we're making the brother switch in this season. And so what do you all remember about like, my first question is just pretty literally about the premiere, which is you've killed Elena, but now it's kind of like, how do we get her? Through the stages and how does she actually become a vampire? Which obviously is done in like oh this amazing but like Stefan and Elena back to back scene is one of my favorites, so incredible. But what do you guys remember about the decision of like, was there a lot of discussion around how we get her to that point? How do we actually make her a vampire?
2: I I remember it vividly.
0: Okay,
2: <laughs> I remember so Julie. Do correct me if I'm wrong, but don't you feel like season four for Elena was like the easiest season to write for Elena? In in that she actually had this very tactile, tangible like drive, and that like the story was so much about what how she's going to become a vampire, or in how she's going to deal with it, and like it all became centered around her.
1: Yeah, yeah. She had a she had a clear chapter arc. Yeah, she had it. It was
2: very clear because usually it was so much like, well, what's Elena's. Drive, you know, and this is like, you know, what is Elena, you know, doing? I, I, For me, the biggest challenge was we wanted to make it a crisis, a decision for her whether or not to be a vampire. But by this point, it was so awesome to be a vampire. Like, why wouldn't you choose to be a vampire? And so it was trying to, like, make that choice seem dangerous in in some way. Um, But we wanted it to be, at least in that premiere, that was, like, the crisis moment for her, the big decision of, like, am I going to to feed or not to feed. I remember on the Comic-Con trailer, that was that was the question that um, was in the trailer.
0: Her like reaching her hand through the bars of like, you guys drew that out as long as you possibly could, of me being like, <laughs> oh my God, oh my God, is she <laughs> like, barely reaches through. I also have to say, just giving a shout out to Parallels I love. One of my favorite parallels of this series is her in episode one of this season, telling Stefan, she chooses him and it's the best choice she's ever made. And then in the finale saying, this might prove to be the worst choice I've ever made, but Damon, I love you. You made all the wrong choices. And of all the choices that I've made,
1: this will prove to be the worst one. But I am not sorry that I'm in love with you.
0: It's just like, you guys always did such a good job of keeping kind of what they each bring to a relationship with Elena, like so distinct. I just, I'll never get over it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Theoretically season 4 is when you're supposed to have hit your groove. You know, like you would go through all the, you know, season 1 is such chaos, season 2 is like better but like really hard. Season 3 you're kind of you're dealing with a lot of fatigue and by season 4 you're supposed to feel like, "Oh, I got this." But I don't think we ever felt like that on this whole show. Not once. Well,
2: you know, I remember, I think it was the first time I remember um, doing an actual like mini room, like the writers, bankers hours um, for season four. And I remember that was the first time it crystallized, at least for me, that like, creating the villain is the key to a good season and we spent so much time in that mini room talking about silas and like shane and like <laughs> if thinking about shane is like funny in hindsight but like <laughs> it, it we we had like a concept like yeah. the dead sea scrolls at some point but like it, it all it became about the mythology of the silas gravestone and, um, that was just so instrumental to like creating the framework for that season. And now I remember that moving forward, like we can talk about our main characters till the dogs come home or whatever, but like the villain drives the, the season arc in my opinion. So that was the first time that crystallized. Yeah.
1: yeah. And we had, you know, our villain, our previous villain, Klaus was now like a, practically a romantic leading man, you know? And so <laughs> we had even more characters to service than before, and had to build a mythology from scratch, which is why it was so exciting to get to the Elena chapter, you know, which is when Elena turned her humanity off and was just a pain in the ass, um, because that that gave yeah. us like some fresh, good bad guy energy that we that we really needed. Am I supposed to be scared of becoming you?
2: Yeah, you are, because I know how deep down you can fall, and I know how difficult it is to climb back out. You're better than this
1: I don't know maybe this is the better version of me
2: I'm actually surprised that I went through and read the the wiki last night <laughs> i can't I don't remember it lasting that long that her humanity was off, but we got like eight episodes out of that or something crazy <laughs> like it was a long time yeah wow, that was that was awesome
1: <laughs> It's funny because like in my head, season four. I I never remember it vividly because I was we were starting to do the all the originals research and and do that. So I always in my head wasn't around as much in season four. But I went back and looked at the wiki this morning and I was like, oh, my God. No, I completely remember. I remember this entire season. I remember the entire break, the whole process, all of the struggles that we had. All of the hits and misses. And I remember, and we'll get to the finale obviously before this hour is over, but I remember sitting in my backyard with trees rewriting the finale in a 24 hour window. Not even 24. I think we did it in a day. Yeah, we just like split it up. She was like at the table. You were over by the fire pit. I was at the table. (laughs) Good
2: memory. Yes. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Oh, God.
2: That's usually how it ended up. I feel like it usually ended up like, We'd kind of like, somebody would write a draft and then, or a couple drafts or whatever, and then we'd just end up at the, you know, the last day doing that. Yeah.
1: Just scrambling. And always good. Yeah. Always good. It's yeah. Like We're in such panic mode. We're in such high octane, high adrenaline panic mode that everything great is pouring out.
2: <laughs> <laughs> or, 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 you you convince yourself, yeah.
0: <laughs> well let's talk about i mean the idea you Uh have elena becoming a vampire was was the idea of like the cure because obviously that is also introduced this season was that something you all kind of always knew would be
1: a thing did the cure come into play like once elena turned essentially i remember the big conversation and and caroline i think you'll remember more about the cure but i remember the very beginning the big question being when will elena be a vampire and Kevin and I were, like, as late in the series as possible. Like, she'll become a vampire when she needs to become a vampire. And then as we got into it, and we did dabble in, like, literally end of season one, just going there. We, we every, every year we're like, is this year Elena's a vampire? But I remember when it was Damon and Elena really heating up. And we just made a decision as a group, or I made a decision and just bullied everybody into it, I don't know, that, like, Elena would never, ever, 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 ever get with Damon while Stefan was still in her life if she was the, like, Elena that we knew and loved. Mm-hmm. And then she would have to be, and I'm sure I'll get killed for this, so that she would have to be a vampire and she would have to be trapped into her more primal self to allow herself this sort of that sexy freedom of being able to link with that bad boy who had done all those terrible things because she was herself living in a space where she was doing terrible things. Um Now she obviously like we get into the whole sire bond and, and all that and the stuff we can talk about. Um But for me, I think I Caroline, was it that like we just wanted an out for her? <laughs> you know what,
2: what exactly was it? Yeah. I think yeah. so. I think it, 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 we kept complicating the cure too in, in a good way, which was, we just, we liked the concept. Like, it's a great MacGuffin. For Elaine, um, it gives her a goal. Because we didn't, I think we, we wanted it to be torturous that she was a vampire. Like, I think we wanted it to be like a problem that she was a vampire. And then we complicated it when we revealed, oh, there's only one cure. There's only one sip. And so who gets it? And then it's like the hot potato. It just makes sense, too, when the lead, you know, has this huge transition that you would give them an out.
0: Yeah.
2: And Why can't you share it? So it is written. What does it mean?
1: Klaus, what does it mean?
2: There is only one dose.
0: I also love because you guys had shown like obviously season two, you'd shown someone like Caroline becoming a vampire where just like everything was perfect. Suddenly like everything's so much better. And then to like have Elena not be great at it was like one of my favorite things. because It a felt true to her character and B was just so interesting to see like, Oh, it's not just always like, Oh, you're a vampire now. Like grab some eyeliner and like your life is better. Like it was such an interesting shift.
1: Yeah, and the, and Stefan had been such a rock for Caroline and had been there because he, in his purest self, was uniquely suited with that compassion that he needed to manage somebody like her who was going through a new thing. And then the reverse of that was Damon was the one who was really best equipped to help Elena through the transition, which, of course, was the thing that led her ultimately to him um, – sire bond or no sire bond and that distanced her from stefan and and i always love that because in my head once damon and elena was an inevitability i was so like i was stefan caroline from 201 you know (laughs) 202 i mean so i was always like yeah you know (laughs) if i can't have my stefan and elena if this world won't let me have that then it's gonna be stefan caroline
0: (laughs) Well, let's talk about the sire bond. Obviously you guys had introduced the idea of the sire bond in season three with Klaus and his hybrids, but where did that come from? And why did you all feel like, I feel like I remember talking about this when it happened. And I feel like you all kind of talked about, like, we needed a way to get Damon and Elena together, like a little, a little quicker if I'm remembering that correctly. And that was kind of a way to do that. If that at all sounds accurate to you. all.
1: Yes. The sire bond is
0: controversial. (laughs)
2: Yeah, it was definitely controversial. I don't know if we could pull that off today. But I think my instinct, I don't remember exactly why we did it, but it's like we just had to – when you have 22, 23 episodes of something, you just have to complicate it, you know? You can't – you want people to be happy for a second, but then you just have to keep, like, nodding it up over and over and over until it's super complicated Um, or twisty, you know? And so this – It felt like a a cool, like, monkey wrench in their relationship.
1: Every time Elena's had a problem, Damon's been the magic solution. Today,
0: Elena was worried about Jeremy. Who swoops in and tells her to relax? Damon, and she listens. When Elena started feeding, who said that she could only drink blood straight from the vein? Damon. And would she try to drink from animals?
2: She couldn't keep it down.
0: And blood bags.
2: Same thing.
0: Name one vampire in the history of vampires who couldn't drink blood from a blood bag. Damon said she couldn't, so she couldn't. Damon likes the red dress. Elena likes the red dress.
2: Damon says kill Connor, she kills Connor.
0: What if it's possible?
1: Damon's blood made her a vampire, right?
0: It's rare, but it happens.
1: To be honest, I think it was a little bit of that. It was, you know, she and Stefan are done. Um, I think it was episode six. Right. Mm -hmm. And and we knew by episode 15, Jeremy would be dead and her humanity would be off. And we wanted Damon and Elena to have something that mattered from an emotional level before her humanity was off. Hmm. And so then it became well, she can't just like break up with Stefan and hop into bed with Damon, even though, you know, part of America would like that very much. (laughs) Like that just doesn't feel right, vampire or no vampire. Um, So I do think it was a sense of like just saying all of her emotions were so heightened, and more so than even a natural vampire vampire heightened uh, senses, and that everything was driving her now. we then had to, you know, do a lot of work to sort of untangle the fact that they had sex while she was technically, you know, under the effects of some sort of supernatural link. Um, this was the year I finally learned. I think this might be this year or season five, what the term agency meant, which <laughs> 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 which I, I had never heard before in my life, and people kept talking about agency, and I'd be like, "What are you talking about?" And now cut to. Um, Yeah, but that was, it was, but it's all, I mean, Caroline's right. It's like, it's complications. It's happiness. Happiness does not create drama, unfortunately. So you can have happiness for a while, but inevitably you have to do something to disrupt that happiness. Now you don't have to ruin the happiness. You just always need to be fighting to keep it. Right. Mm. Um, And so it's just about adding conflict and, and, and twists and turns in the mythology to keep the mythology feeling like it's driving in one one Direction.
2: I will say, um, the, in, in, episode seven, it was called My Brother's Keeper. That is my favorite intercut sequence. And we've done a million of them that we've ever done where it's Stefan and Caroline mm. starting to piece together that Damon and Elena are sired as Damon and Elena are being drawn together and starting to make out. And I loved, I just loved it. I love the music. I loved this, the drama of it. And then I, I, um, Fans went and they cut out the Caroline and Stefan part of it. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> Elena fans maybe edited it. Yeah. So it was just David and Elena. It was funny. But um, yeah, because they don't, because most people just want the happiness. They think they want the happiness. They don't, but they think they do.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Have to remind them they don't want it.
2: They don't. Uh, they want the drama.
0: <laughs> uh, well, that is, that is a great music moment. And speaking of great music moments, one of my like, all-time faves was in this season which is Klaus massacring 12 (laughs) hybrids to a holy night like that's Carrie brother (laughs) incredible like that I don't know where that came from but that is like a genius sequence
1: I actually think that came out of the first cut being so like rough that fight sequence because that's a huge fight sequence and that's difficult and a lot of times what we would do in editorial it's one of our little tricks is if something just felt like it wasn't working um whether you know it, it in this case i think the footage was all there i just don't know there was something that just wasn't delivering about that sequence and And so what we like to do is we say, okay, well, what this is the sequence played the way you would expect it to be played with the score and, you know, the violence, and the genre and this and that. So what if you like took the cheeky approach and like what if you what if you played against the scene instead of playing into the scene? And pretty much and I wish I could think of other examples of when we've done that, because pretty much every single time we have, it has worked like gangbusters. And this is the perfect example of that. You know, Kerry Brothers is someone who I went to college with. Barely knew in college. Like we were like, "Hey, how are you? Nice to see you." Like we weren't buddies, but I ran into him on the street back when I was doing Kyle X Y, like outside of like the hotel cafe or something, and said hello. And then just started putting all his music in like every show that I've done since, <laughs> which is kind of a thrill. Like he's if you look back from Kyle X Y all the way to today, you'll see Kerry Brothers uh, repeatedly.
0: That's amazing. Oh, and then that sequence, of course, is followed by Carol Lockwood. That was still like yes, her drowning, <laughs> devastating. But also, you guys really like that. Is some there's some A plus underwater acting again from this show in in that sequence because there's
1: it is, it is a real there's a long shot of her face while she's drowning. That was a good one. That was Pascal's first episode, wasn't it? Did he was that his first one he directed? Mm-hmm. I um I think no, it was, he did three fifteen. Yeah. He did three fifteen. Cause I remember, I remember him trying to figure out how to have a fight scene in which like a dozen hybrids are getting killed by one man, basically battle of the Bastard style, um, in four hours or six hours. I think he had to shoot it. <laughs>
0: the season's also uh, the introduction of Haley, Phoebe Tonkin comes in at that point. Were you like secretly already like plotting the originals or was she genuinely like brought into the vampire
1: diaries in that way? I can't remember chicken or the egg, but like I can't remember if the egg was Klaus slept with Haley and therefore, oh my God, she could be pregnant in the originals, or if we, or if we put Klaus with Haley so that she could get pregnant for the originals. Narducci would remember. Damn it, where is he when you need him? Yeah. <laughs> I
2: think it, I think the idea of her being pregnant came after
1: after they disgusting. hooked up. I,
2: I yeah. vividly remember you coming into the writers' room two because you must have been in writers' room one, and coming in you and you pitched it your and you're like, and Haley gets pregnant.
1: Oh, that's right. But and
2: we were I think we were all just staring at you trying to process <laughs> because I remember you wanting a bigger reaction. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I kind of remember
1: that I don't remember what happened after that But I remember like yeah. you standing in the doorway Well I knew that Secret Circle had ended And that Kevin yeah. had thought Phoebe Was such a, like, such a breakout star And so interesting And so we And she and Claire were friends from Australia And from H2O And so we really wanted to work with her And we really wanted to get her in And then she became sort of the centerpiece Of, of the pipe that we were laying for the spin-off and so that was all, yes. But I, I can't remember the chicken or the egg of when she slept with Klaus. Like, what, did pregnancy idea come first, or did pregnancy idea come after?
0: Well, the season also had the five, aka I to, Alexander. I think might be like the hunkiest man to ever like walk on my TV screen. I don't know yes. where that actor is now, but dear God, but mm-hmm. where did the idea for the well the five come from? But then also like making Jeremy one of them, like. Jeremy ripping his shirt off will always be just like one of my favorite sequences. <laughs> By
1: the way, we called Stephen and we're like, if we get you a trainer, will you get buff? And he was like, yeah. <laughs> and then he did.
0: <laughs> he gave totally did you a trainer. <laughs> That's incredible. But was the fi- I mean, the five was just something you all completely made up, right? That's not like based in some sort of like myth somewhere.
2: Mm, yeah, I think it was part of just in creating the Silas mythology. That's when, for some reason, Julie, I guess they just keep remembering this workshop. And we just had this luxury of being having all this like extra a couple extra weeks before hiatus started or something where we could just break all of that.
1: Yes. And I don't even know why it happened that way. But because, you know, end of season one and end of season two, we were so beat down, and exhausted that we just like went home, took a nap for two weeks, came back and started all over. But end of season three, we had this extra amount of time. We must've finished the scripts early. And so we had what we call writer's boot camp, which we then did subsequently for every season. And it was like three to four weeks of, of just writing. I mean, just pitching and building the season so that when we went on hiatus, like that was the year that you and I, you took episode one and I took episode two on our hiatus. Cause we had like broken the whole like season pitch, broken the first two episodes and then went and wrote those two episodes. Cause I was in Italy on vacation and I wrote, that first mm. act of, of uh of four oh two on a bench up at the top of the Spanish steps. <laughs> I was like I'm, in Italy. <laughs> I'm writing. This is so awesome. Uh, but that made a huge difference. And I think the five I can't remember um uh, and I hate to keep saying I can't remember, but like at a certain point like it all does become a blur. But for some reason at the beginning of four oh two I mean four season four we kept getting notes from the studio and we hadn't gotten that many notes in a long time. And we kept getting notes about, like that we were slow playing the mythology too much. And mm. that the first few episodes just weren't asking enough questions and weren't like, and we were so burnt from our mythology for three seasons and we just wanted to be kind of quietly ease our way into it. And for some reason they just felt like they had to note that. So we were like in the writer's room thinking of all this shit, like the, the, the preacher blowing up the cottage or something, whatever. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Like, and then that was I, so weird. I feel like the five, I feel like the five was like the first card we wanted to turn in the season's mythology, but we didn't want to get there for a while. And so we had to kind of weirdly manufacture a mythology for the first kind of mini chapter of the season. And that was like annoying. I remember just being really annoyed by that because I felt like all we do in a, these 22 episode seasons is get ourselves accidentally buried in so much mythology and it's impossible to keep track of. We're doing like one massive magic spell after another, like poor Bonnie's being called in to save the day 9 million times. Like we just are, it's so exhausting. Give us a break. And for some reason they were just like, I think cause the show had done really well in season three and they just didn't want, they, they knew how important season four was to really get it to season eight. Mm-hmm. That's really what it is. Like you get, if you nail season three and like keep going, You'll go forever. Um, yeah. The fans will like never let you go, right? So, but it was so we'd get these notes calls and we'd be like, "Oh my god! All right, what twist can we make up here?" <laughs> it was it was crazy. But the thing about Steven is like, we knew Jeremy was dying. Mm, yeah, we knew he, he was a hard character to write for Jeremy because he was the little brother, and like, and he himself always wanted to be in the fight. Like, as an actor, he was like, When's, where's my crossbow? I want a crossbow. And it sort of became the joke, like, when are we going to give Steven a crossbow? And um, and so we thought, well, why not make him borderline supernatural? Make him someone that can fight. And then, you know, put a map on his body that you have to decipher. You know, we probably overdid it, to be honest, in the mythology of that season, just because, like, we kept adding, like, mm-hmm. just the cure in and of itself. The chase for the cure was so dynamic. And we added, you know, like, hunters and maps and islands and caves and <laughs> doppelganger. Like, we really, like, we really reached into that grab bag. So we could have made it through with a slower start. Uh, notes, people. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, though, Julie, we needed, we need, so Elena was going through an existential crisis, which was fascinating because it's all oh. in our characters. Oh, but yeah. we needed a villain. We needed, and Shane yeah. couldn't be a villain. We knew Shane was connected to the mythology in the long game. He's just a human professor. He's not a villain. He's, like, sort of intriguing. So we needed the bad guy. So that's where Connor came in, if you remember, <gasps> on the first hunter. Oh, so yeah. So we needed to hit him to be somebody that we're outwardly going against.
1: Yes, that's right. We needed a villain. We brought in Connor, and then the mythology of the five was born out of wanting to make yeah. his mythology more dynamic than just, like, your your everyday average bear vampire mm-hmm. hunter. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I just remember a lark in the cemetery mm-hmm. at the end of episode two, because Matt was not on the show anymore, and you know, and was dead, and showing up for Damon and that being – I think that was Jose Molina's pitch because he had lost a friend. Mm-hmm you know, in his life and, and, you know, those moments, the best moments in a writer's room are always the moments come out of somebody's personal grief, personal happiness, personal love story, whatever, personal comedy, because it is so personal. And so when they pitch it, it feels so authentic and, and, and beautiful. And if you cry in the writer's room when someone's pitching something, you just know it's going to work. And he pitched that moment. And we were all like, Um, (laughs) yeah, I still love that.
0: Yeah. Stuck, stuck looking after the kids. That's such a sweet
1: moment.
0: Yeah. I didn't get the girl. Remember? I'm just stuck here fighting with my brother and taking care of the kids. You owe me big. We have to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. You talked a lot about like Silas and arcing out that whole mythology. So did you all know for like, were you like this is a Stefan doppelganger like pretty early on in the season or did that come about later? Oh,
2: (laughs) I'm not sure that I can't say that we were sure it was Stefan. I think we were imagining what we kind of showed briefly, which was like that, like the ghoulish creepy guy tucked into a cave like the oh, yes. old old oldest vampire in the world, but I think we all knew in the back of our minds that wouldn't be great, like that you know yes,
1: yes, that was because like we we always referenced the master and Buffy hmm. and how you know and how true vampires like we were like sort of you know cornering the market on the broody Hawkeye vamp, but like in lore, true vampires are like wrinkled pruny, kind of disgusting monster creature features, and um. And I think you're right, Jeezy. I think we started wanting to go down that road and then just got cold feet. Just totally got cold feet. We're like, okay, so what if he is both wrinkled pruny, and whatever in their minds? Uh, <laughs> in real life, he's a hot guy. Oh in real yes. life, he's <laughs> Totally. <laughs> do I? <laughs> I do not, like, when you asked that question, I had this, like, weird flashback that I can't place of that epiphany in the writer's room. But the problem is I don't know if that's, like, a planted memory the, based on how you <laughs> asked it or if that actually really happened. Because yeah, I do have this, like, weird, like, oh, my God, what if memory Yeah, that that I'll have to do some research on that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's talk about I mean, my my favorite episode of this season is Stand By Me for 15. Like, so incredible. i read a story and I have no idea if this is true. That was something about like, the table like Nina was so incredible at like the table read that you all just like immediately started like blocking it or something. I don't, I don't fully but what do you remember about that experience?
1: So I wasn't there, but I remember Lance Anderson, who directed the episode, who was one of our editors up to that point. This was his first uh, no, second episode he was directing. And um he had talked to Nina and he had basically said, we're going to give you everything we, you need. We're going to give you rehearsals. We're going to give you like time. We're going to let you have the quiet. Like he just really, really, really knew how important that whole sequence of her melting down was. And he wanted to make sure they got it right. And All I heard was the feedback from from the table read that she had been basically practically off book, if not off book at the table read, which never happens. Um, And uh, (laughs) and that it was so mind blowing that everyone was just like, oh, my God, this is incredible. And, yeah, they might have taken that right over into blocking rehearsal for all I know. But um, that was a special one because it was so deeply emotional. And Nina so, so, so much wanted to get it right. And Lance wanted to get it right, you know? Um, and for me, I, I wrote that. That was the one I said in the season, like, that one's mine. Like, nobody else gets that. That one's mine. I love writing the stuff that's about, like, on the table in front of your face grief, because, um, you know, everybody has their life story and everybody has their life trauma. And I had gone through a loss as a kid that like, I remember those feelings. I remember feeling like you're out of your body. I remember feeling like ice cold. I remember feeling like, you know, cutting it off and turning the whole humanity switch. Turning off is totally born out of like, like, my ability to like turn a light switch to like disconnect from grief, right, and so I remember the body episode in Buffy being so powerful to so many people, and wanted this this episode to be sort of that, and wanted to write the beats of like each chapter of the episode was like a chapter of of her grief, and just like live in the quiet of all that until it got to the point where she broke. Um, and so we named the episode Stand By Me as an homage to The Body because Stand By Me, the movie, is an adaptation of Stephen King book, a uh, short story called The Body. So we like did little, <laughs> little tricks like that. Here's a very specific question, which I, I just
0: popped into my head as I'm watching it. When Paul is like, so Paul's like holding Jeremy's dead body when he walks in, right? What were the actors holding when they were supposedly holding like Without a care,
1: very large men was it just like a dummy or something it depends it 's either a dummy or it 's a supported lift like if if the actor himself cannot like scoop up Stephen McQueen and walk him in, they do like a rig that kind of gives a gives a support but i don 't remember what that one was
0: all right well obviously that was that's the episode that gets you to no Humanity, Elena, which you guys talked about. One of, I remember one of my biggest questions when I was watching it was, oh, this is going to be fascinating because we have Elena, we have Vampire Elena, we have Catherine, we have No Humanity Elena. Like, Was it challenging for you all to be like, how do we make sure No Humanity Elena isn't like, just Catherine in some ways?
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. How did we do that? When did Catherine come back into the picture?
0: Oh, she is with Elijah. She pops up, No Humanity Elena
1: finds her. Well, thankfully, Nina had um, done us the, the favor of cutting her hair. So that <laughs> that made it, that made it oh helpful, to be honest. Yeah, I don't
2: remember that ever feeling like it was a problem. But I'm just trying to think of like how we might have actively distinguished the two. But I don't remember thinking, oh, how do we make them different? Just because Catherine is just innately so different and calculated.
1: I do remember. You remember that phone call when Nina said she wanted to cut her hair? And I, we were all like, yeah, oh, Felicity, Felicity, what are we going to do? <laughs> yeah, we
2: all thought it was going to be super short. And then I was like, I don't even think I would have noticed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she just got some like layers and
0: a fun little like side bang. Yeah, yeah a little yeah. A little purple streak. I love that you yeah. all had Elena do it in New York, though. It was like, such, it was like she gets her haircut yeah. in New York and then comes back like a di- it felt so. <laughs> it was like, no, oh.
2: when an actor wants to get a haircut, it, you have to like call like 20 different people. Yeah, alert them. You know, it's like such a thing. It's so nerve wracking. Yeah. Like I've literally had sat in salons with actors getting their hair done. It's like the worst.
1: (laughs) You do. You have to send um, you have to get full approvals first in the studio, then for the network. You have to send like reference photos. It's 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 a thing. And she really wanted to do it. And, you know, in a way that sort of marked for her, I think the Elena graduating out of like sweet pure Elena. Um, and into a more grown-up, more confident, more demon compatible person. Choice. It was a choice. It was a choice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it worked. Worked. Well, this is also obviously the original's backdoor pilot is happening toward the end of this season. I've always, look, the thing that always strikes me when I rewatch it is Charles singing. that that is the intro to Marcel (laughs) and it's incredible but what was like what was the experience of finding Charles Michael Davis like for you because he's such a find.
1: yeah he's such a find well it's actually really funny because one of the other people who read opposite Charles for that part was Pedro Pascal shut up swear who I loved I was obsessed with him but he was just too uh, on the older side right so whilst everyone else was like oh my god Charles Mike, Michael Davis Charles, like blown away and so excited and I of course loved him and I'm like so happy we cast him but I was like in full Pedro Pascal glamour mode and <clears throat> it was just like oh my god he's so great but Charles like I mean I am the king right like he just had that swagger that and you needed somebody with that kind of swagger to like to like operate and breathe in the same place as Klaus and so it was thrilling when he came in and everybody like across the board literally was like he's the guy he's the guy no question um except for me because I was like having Pedro Pascal fantasies but um and (laughs) but that that whole casting of that show was really like you know you've got Klaus and Elijah and Rebecca, you've got three really, really, really strong actors who really take up a lot of space and like, in, in, in energy and the, and the screen. And so how in the hell do you fill that ensemble out? And then you have Haley who's in there. And by the way, then you also have four white people. And, <laughs> and you're realizing, oh, we just came up with a show that like is rooted in, at a bare minimum, four white people in your ensemble. Mm -hmm. So you really, you really gotta, you know, gotta rethink who else you're putting in the show. The fun, the fun part of the originals is somewhere in December of that year and maybe November of that year, Narducci and Marguerite McIntyre and I, went to New Orleans and stayed in the French Quarter for like three or four days to just do research. And we did the whole tour. Um, We did the vampire tour. We got all the history. And so much of what that show ended up being was born out of that three-day research experience and all the fun we had in the French Quarter. And Marguerite, who at the time was just an actor on the Vampire Diaries and just a friend, then when when the show got picked up, we were able to give her a writing job. And so that's how... That's how that all started. That's how that beautiful relationship started. (laughs) But like, try writing an entire season of television with villain, a family of villains that are no longer allowed to be villainous in that way because you're you're like walking them down the path to their own series in which they will be the heroes of their own series, and that you both like. That's hard. That was the hardest part of season four was like trying to keep the originals as vibrant and exciting and dynamic as we could, even though they couldn't be conflict providers in that same way. But then we introduced the cure and realized that's the one thing that Rebecca would take, that Rebecca would want more than anything in the world and that she would go to any great lengths to get it. So she got to be a little pocket villain for a stretch, which was really helpful. Um <laughs> in in story breaking, like that she could be a foil in that way. Ah, good to hear. It was just getting depressing. What the hell is going on? Listen to the rules carefully. Stay in the building. No vamp running in the hallways. Vamp running from what?
0: Turn. What? You can't. He'll lose control. That's the whole point. I've exhausted all your knowledge. Now I have the professor to help me find the cure. You're just competition. Okay, so we're building to this, the end of this season, this incredible finale that you all somehow wrote in like a day. You've got the, I want to talk about the Nina versus Nina fight scene, because I feel like at that point you all had done, like, obviously we'd had, you know, many scenes of Catherine and Elena, but to actually make them fight and like pull that off, what do you all remember? I mean, that feels like... So it always amazes me. It feels so incredibly ambitious. But, like, how complicated was that to make that work?
2: <laughs> I loved it. I loved that yeah. fight. I yeah. loved it. And Nina Nina was so, from the beginning, so good at doing both, to playing both characters. Like, I remember the first time she ever met, um, the Elena met Catherine, um, I forget what season it was, season two or three. And... Mm-hmm. And, and um nina came back and watched the photo double go in and she was like oh no 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 she, no she didn't and like she had like all these thoughts about the photo double and i was like oh i would never have noticed that 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 she wasn't you but nina like you know she just gets it she just got it so quickly um but that fight it was just so cathartic and um messy and i just loved it and you're like rooting for elena obviously but it's just like you love i love kathleen's my favorite character so i just i just loved it
1: Oh God! And then I mean, just when she like you think she's lost, but then she opens her hand and reveals that like the yes. cure she gave yes. her the cure, and like Catherine yeah. of all people who loved being a vampire, like at a certain point who was like so queen bee of vampirism, to know that I mean talk about a story engine moving forward to know that you're moving forward to a cured Catherine. Well, this is also however long it takes. I mean, when
0: you all write something like that, like, are you just like, oh, like, I got him. Like, this is going to be a moment.
2: I forget who thought of that Narducci. I feel like that's like a Narducci line. It's
1: got to be. It's got to be. I mean, I hate to give credit to the wrong person. It's either Rebecca, it's either Rebecca or Narducci, for sure. Yeah. Or maybe
2: Brett. It's like a soft man or Rebecca. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't, all I'm saying is it wasn't me. Yeah, I know that for a fact. Um, yo, I love that. I loved I, any Caroline Klaus scene. I'm obsessed with. Tyler is now free to return to Mystic Falls. What? He's your first love. I intend to be your last. However
1: long it takes. Oh, God. Also, talk about hurdles, though. You have this audience who's obsessed with Klaus and Caroline. You have that predicament, you know, because it's like I always had the same predicament with Bonnie and Damon, right? Damon was a terrible person. Bonnie, in in my mind, would never fall in love with Damon. And yet for years, the fans like, you know, there was a faction of fans who really wanted that book fans and then people who just really responded to their chemistry because they had really nice chemistry. But in my head, I'm like, she can never fall in love with Damon because Damon has done too many terrible things and Bonnie just has more integrity than that. You know, so we ended up making them best friends as, mm-hmm. as, as like earning him earning her trust over a long period of time, so that she could care about him without it being like a toxic relationship, right? So then, you have Klaus and Caroline, who everybody wants, and you have the same problem. Klaus killed Aunt Jenna. <laughs> he killed Aunt Jenna. Klaus took a
2: light pull like a lamp and shoved it through Caroline's heart. Remember he shoved <laughs> it through her chest and brought her into that, into the um, Gilbert living room because he was on, um, he was trapped in there. And it was like, it was so awful, but yet I still wanted them together. And I, I, again, like in 2021, I don't think I could get away with writing that scene. At least my writer's room would be like, flag on the play. But this was just like, oh, another day, another... You know, whatever.
1: And, 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 and so we're like stuck with this relationship that is like sizzling with chemistry. And like, obviously, we all like it. You know, we all love <laughs> Caroline. I mean, not all of us, but like we most of us were so in it. But every now and then there would be the person who's like, he killed Aunt Jenna didn't he kill her father. <laughs> is not he responsible for her. Whatever. The worst things in the world that he did. And we're also writing him off the show to go be the star of his own show. So, like, mm-hmm. how do you keep that heat alive? Because it's wicked and awesome and super, super sexy. But not go there because you, no way in hell is Caroline leaving Vampire Diaries at least that year. You know, that was like just endless summer. And make so, him,
2: make him have. I mean, he needs to be in a love triangle on the original. So, like, you need him to yeah. be like. Emotionally freed up, Yeah. And it's really hard to do when you have residual drama.
1: Well, and then and even on the spinoff, we had the, he calls Caroline to tell her, yeah. this is what I'm experiencing. And then on, when we redid that for the pilot of the originals, we didn't use that because we're like, we're not flashing back to some old girlfriend on this show. We're going to create new girlfriends. Uh-oh.
2: Caroline, I'm standing in one of my favorite places in the world. Surrounded by food, music, art, culture, and all I can think about is how much I want to show it to you. Maybe one day you'll let me.
1: The Klaus Caroline saga, in terms of like who believed what in the writer's room, who wanted what, and who like, drew a line that was not allowed to be crossed, it's like a book in and of itself. <laughs> Absolutely. A, lot of, a lot, of, lot of tears shed over that one. A lot of, a lot of battles.
0: Well, you guys were always so good. You always knew, like, when to kill someone. Sounds like such a weird thing to say. But you always knew when to kill someone, when the show, whatever. And, like, Bonnie dies, obviously, in season four. Because then season five, we've got the whole, like, ghost Bonnie in college sort of, like, talking through Jeremy sort of thing. But what went into the decision of, like, okay, like, now's the time. Like, we're going to kill Bonnie, which is like obviously a huge thing.
2: It, it's, it's weird that that idea came out only because we must have known she was going to be in the next season. I just remember getting chills when the idea came out that the way the, the veil fell in the finale, that when our guys realized that Bonnie was dead and, and playing the dramatic irony or whatever you want to call it of her being a ghost, but they don't realize she's a ghost I mean, the audience being in on that for a while. And then then re- the, the characters realizing it when, when that idea came out,
1: that gave me chills. I was like, that's so good. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, wanting to give her, I think it was a lot of things. I just literally had a flashback to the funeral episode, Bonnie's fake funeral, like yeah. when they're in the woods and like with the every, all the little things on the, I love that episode so Mm -hmm. much. So I was like, I was drifting down memory lane of that episode in my head. (sighs) The problem with Bonnie was the magic problem. Mm -hmm. in that, and and Kevin would say this from the jump, the reason he doesn't like witches is because when you have a witch in the story, the witch is always available to solve the problem. And then the witch's powers become limitless, which means your magic becomes bigger. You lose control of the scope of the magic mythology. There's always a solution to any problem. And then you have to do all these mental gymnastics to add obstacles in the way so that you can't just like... Call Bonnie to fix the problem, and yeah. and he said that from like minute one, and lo and behold, he was right because yeah, if you've got a this, well, why can't Bonnie do a locator spell or why can't Bonnie do a blah blah blah, and so and then we started getting the feedback, frankly, like the 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 frustrating but truthful feedback that like Bonnie was very dangerously falling into a a trope um, that was not a good trope. And, and and is is not culturally a good trope. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were always looking for ways to either, like, take her magic from her or to give her something that she could do that wasn't like pick up the phone, call Bonnie to do the spell to save the day. And so the idea of ultimately making her the anchor to the other side, having her be as a ghost, it was just like, let's let Bonnie do something so that so that every episode you're not calling bonnie to save the day Mm -hmm. because it was legitimate good feedback that we had fallen into the very trap that kevin always said we would um and so we're always struggling and just saying okay what can we do because she was she she had really grown into her role by then she was so emotional and so good and we just wanted to show her off
0: season four is the only season that's 23 episodes
2: yeah, I just had a PTSD moment. (laughs) Julie, do you remember coming into the room, like halfway through the season, we're all dead, and you're like, the studio asked for two more episodes, and I said, just what, you know, you agreed to one more? They had been asking
1: every year for more, every year. By year four, I'm like, ah, you know, it's like time to say yes to this, but oh my God, will we, will we like at the end of that, we will never do that again. It's that extra eight days, I don't know why, the crew almost just collapsed from exhaustion. The actors were miserable and collapsing from exhaustion. We were dying on the vine for story. I remember
2: walking into the kitchen at like 10 PM and Rebecca was in there with Brett. And I heard her say, I can't imagine having, cause I think she was like working, helping work break episode 22. Or twenty one or something, and she's like, I can't imagine having to do two more of these. And like, I I was co writing the last two, and she like (laughs) she quickly got quiet and like as if to like hide what she was saying. And I'm like, I heard you. Thank you. I mean, it was it was definitely fun because the stories were really quite juicy in my opinion, but especially the graduation episode. But, um, if you look at it, I mean, it was like crazy. And then by the way, then like the crew gets like five minutes of hiatus, you know, it's just like, it's not a good business strategy in my opinion,
0: but whatever. we did It, <laughs> we did. <laughs> it was great. I still remember like the gasp when you guys did the hello, my shadow, when the camera pans and it's like, is it another Elena? No, it's a Stefan. Like. Still, still one of my favorite moments. I can tell you exactly where I was sitting, like, vivid in my brain.
1: I love that finale. I genuinely love that finale. I mean, because graduation and, like, the emotion, you, it, like, people can make fun all they want of, like, events on CW shows, but those milestone events on those shows, like, you just enter the story with such a sense of nostalgia. And, like, all these kids are, like, graduating and going on with their lives. And the, the, the big question, like, the cliffhanger is where does everybody go from here you know you, it's a built-in emotional cliffhanger plus you have the great elena catherine fight plus you have like the class coming in back for caroline like the like uh, uh, that's a good one
2: i think damon and elena finally like officially got together
1: i'm not sorry that i this and that and that. i'm not sorry that i love you <laughs> that's that's a good one fine and i'm not sorry either I'm not sorry that I met you. I'm not sorry that knowing you has made me question everything. That in death, you're the one that made me feel most alive. Dries, by the time the show was over, probably, I would say, wrote most of the best Damon and Elena arguments and fraught monologues and, like sexy leads up to like awesomeness. <laughs> I feel like you really like found your groove with that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you were like hate writing them or you just love them. I don't know where you were no, coming No, I love from. them. <laughs> I love them. That.
2: that was fun. That was a fun memory lane. I'm so proud of, I was so proud of it. It's so nice to be able to look back on something, you know, Yeah. <laughs> and not have to look forward.
1: Yeah. To look back and not be in the, in the middle of the pain. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, like, look, that season was the season that Caroline, like, really became the de facto showrunner of the show and moving into season five. And she carried the weight of the show for five, six, three more years after this. And, um, you know, Brian Young as well and a whole bunch of great writers. But, like, Mm -hmm. you really you took the baton and you you made it work and you crushed it. And so you get you get half Mm -hmm. of the. You get a good half the ownership of uh, of, of, of Vampire Diaries and all its yeah. glory. She got to see me cry and not good, good, not good happy tears. I, made, tears. I think I
2: made you cry a couple times. <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, it was tough. Oh I mean, goodness. you definitely you you work so hard and it's so emotional and you're under such a time crunch and it's like it is nice to be able to look back because it is genuinely so hard. And it's nice that people love it enough that they're still talking about, you know, a season of TV. Truly, truly um, life-changing experience, that show.
0: All right. that That is time. That is our episode. Thank you both. Thanks for listening. We will be back to talk all about season five. More vampire goodness to come next week on our next episode of Entertainment Weekly's binge, The Vampire Diaries. You can stream all eight seasons of The Vampire Diaries on Netflix right now. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you get audio and follow Entertainment Weekly at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly on Instagram. And you can catch me on Twitter or Instagram at Sam Highfield.